Greetings, everyone. Bonjour. Benvenue. Welcome to the fifth of an eight-part podcast for Jacqueline Gay Wally for her collectible collection of Venus as She Ages, six novels under the IML Publications imprint, a boutique press amplifying contemporary female writers who are nomadic explorers of language, form, and the psyche. I'm I. Murphy Lewis, speaking to you from Paris, France, with my guest of honor, award-winning novelist and screenwriter Jacqueline Gay Wally, presently with us from New York City. Welcome, Jacqueline Gay. Hello, Murphy. Bonjour. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Yay. So today, we're discussing your fourth book in the collection, The Bed You Lie In about two adult children of Holocaust survivors who work out their family pain when one seemingly betrays the other. I have two like little glimpses I want to give you real quickly. It's like you do a warning to your reader, two of them. I want to tell you how I got myself into this mess. By the time I finish the story, I may tell you how I got out of it. When you fall in love with a man who hurts you or whom you hurt, clearly you are reliving old hurts. Clearly you are trying to locate those old hurts by finally feeling them. They need reckoning with. Those old hurts insist on it. And so some hurtful situation comes along for you to fasten yourself onto so as to clear the whole mess up the past, the present, and the future. The chaos, in other words, gives birth to a new self for him and for you, but none of it, none of it goes as you expect it to. And you can dive in there because I think the other one's important too, but I can do it after you dive in. Well, yes. I mean, the book is about two people who have been uh, they are children of Holocaust survivors. So they sort of, I think I even use the expression, they've drunk at the breast of pain in a way. I don't, I don't, I hopefully I didn't say pain, but, and, um, mm. and they are carrying in their DNA a lot of, a lot of hurt. And so this is something they know about hurt and they know how mm. to hurt and they are hurt. So mm. these are two forces that come together and, um, it's not particularly pleasant all the time, but they are working it out through each other. And um, it's pretty kooky, but uh, they are healing themselves through not running from that pain. And it's not that they talk about it, except in joking ways. There's a lot of irony and wit between these two, but they are both willing to suffer She's willing to suffer out of sort of guilt for her past, and he's willing to make someone suffer because he's been born to hurting. Mm. So the second warning that you give to the reader, he would tell you now that all hell broke loose between us when I slept with Michael, his English client. But I am going to tell you that all hell broke loose Long before that, all hell broke loose when my equally as Quixotic, equally as abandoning mother died. 
Yes. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, in the book, her mother has abandoned her when uh, she was a small child, partially because she is uh, haunted by her um, childhood in Europe. And uh, he is of European parents also who, who had terrible stories. And um, he makes the mother alive to her and makes her understand her mother. But she's also, the reason she's in pain and vulnerable to him is that um, she's never really worked out who the mother was. And strangely, in his anger at her, uh, she discovers who the mother is. Yeah, it's a, a different kind of mirror, right? Now, Jacqueline Gay, just tell us a little bit about why you chose Mira. I mean, you used Mira in prison sex, and now you're using Mira again in... Um... Why, why I chose the name? Yeah. I have liked that name as a um, protagonist name. Um, I, my understanding of Mira is... Um, it's not about mirror. She in the Bible uh, slept with her father, but she didn't know it. And, um, or he didn't know it, I forget. Mm. So uh, that always sort of fascinated me a bit. And, and because my character is a child of the father, not the mother, um, mm. for me, it was, it was just a key. Not that I slept with my father or her or any of them slept with their fathers, but I just like the name. Mm. Great. Great. Yeah. Because sometimes I think people think mirror, right? Mira, mirror. Yeah. Early on, there's a scene um, where Mira is being called pugnacious by our mm. area. And it's in sex, he says, you're pugnacious mm -hmm. in sex. And not to create an argument, she quickly kisses him on his balding head while he was looking for his eyeglasses and then rushed out of there, hair uncombed, handbag open, before we could get into a wrangle. So we already know that there's, right? Mm -hmm. And you write, I took a taxi home, which I could ill afford since I live as close to the edge financially as I do in my choice of men. I was working in a tiny media company who had the gall to pay late. This was not perhaps the most terrible thing, since after all, it was still some income. But my inability to live within a budget of any kind was a real problem. The government and I finally had something in common. On the other hand, I was secretly thrilled that this job entailed only a weekly meeting in a coffee shop that I could work at home and that I could keep my own hours. And since the company had little business, I managed to get all the work done and still have plenty of time on my hands. And then you write, I looked out my window at a sunny day on 2nd Avenue, people walking slowly in the warmth, girls in their very short skirts, and men with swivel heads on cell phones. I called Aria. I called him because here we were, both on the same planet, in the same year, in the same city, on the same sunny day, a miracle of a sort. I asked him, what are you doing? So in other words, she keeps coming back for more. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that relates to the whole mother thing. She knows she's trying to find something out. And um, she feels a compulsion. She wants him 
to explain something to her, even though she doesn't actually know that that's what she wants. And um, she's drawn to him. Mm. He also has um, a kind of a fascinating mind. He's very, um, he's quick and he's combative. He's a litigator and um, he's an Mm. Israeli. And he, um, you know, so uh, she sort of likes this Punch and Judy show they have mentally, but she's really on a search to connect with uh, the pain she experienced with her mother. And somehow she knows he's got the information. Yes. In fact, even in his apartment, there is an image here of how he's like the mother. You write, I knew it would only be moments before he would come in to check up on me to make sure I was not doing anything that would annoy him, such as putting a glass on his wooden side table or taking a book out of his bookcase and not putting it back properly. This, when the room looked like it had been hurled to and from Kansas, it was amazing to me that in as much disarray as this apartment was, his closets, however, were filled with very expensive suits, his thin suits, he couldn't wear them now, and ties organized methodically and fastidiously, all hanging carefully and perfectly as if he were Brooks Brothers. My mother had the same idiosyncrasy. She left my father and me when I was four. Later, when I tried to get to know her, I was struck by her strange obsession with neatness. She also had an impeccable, overflowing closet of orderly clothes. And she, just like Aria, had the ability to flail her moods around with abstract expressionist intensity. (laughs) Yes. Well, he has a lot in common with the mother. He's witty like she is, but he's damaged like the mother was, you know. So mm. there's there's a lot of information mm. for her to to come up close to it. You know, I it's an it's a strange book. There's a couple of things that are odd about it for me as a writer. One is that I think you've pointed this out to me at one time. It's it's not stylized like a lot of my other books. And mm. it's really because the story itself has so much um, undercurrents, so many undercurrents going on that it, that almost being stylized would get in the way. The story itself moves as the two of them are drawn toward each other and away from each other at the same time because they confront themselves when they see each other. So that's um, one of the things uh, that struck me. And the other thing about the book is that, you know, it's you wonder why does she keep going back to him? Um, when he insults her, mm. he um, uh, is constantly angry at her, and, and and she has done things to make him angry. Um, she keeps going back because she feels guilty. She feels guilty that she's hurt him because in some ways she can't stand seeing the hurt because she herself has been that hurt. So um, she projects onto him her own hurt. And because of that, she can't abandon him when really she should. Hmm. And then there's another sort of story in the story where she gets involved with his client because they're actually, she and Ari are never really successful lovers. They're not really, they don't make for a a girl and boyfriend except for maybe a few minutes. And um, (laughs) she gets involved and Ari is always telling her he doesn't want to see her again. And um, she gets involved with his client who is the opposite. He's British. He's highly educated. He's 
stayed. He's uh, very nice to her. He wants to give her everything. It's the opposite of Arya. But Arya tricks her in a certain way to get her back. And um, she's more addicted to this thing of discovering what is all this pain about. Mm, exactly. In fact, um, you write, um, his tales interested me. He was telling me of a family I could have belonged to. My mother never once referred to her Jewishness. She prided herself on being an anti-Semite. But I wondered, how could she forsake her relatives who fared so badly? Her negation broke my heart. Of course it did. I was also a relative, and she had no problem forsaking me either. Yeah. Yeah. And Arya, I think, has some compassion for her about that. He understands about that. They both really understand yeah. uh, what they've come from in a way that um, somebody who hasn't come from that doesn't understand that. Yeah. There's a um, somebody once told me that there's an expression for children of Holocaust survivors, which was Hitler's revenge, revenge on losing the war because the children of the Holocaust survivors were often damaged too. Yes. So it continues the continuation. Right. 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 Yes. In fact, you even write, he welled, he was screaming at the sky about this pain. One of the things I love about your writing around um, Mira is also her interior. You know, there's another mm -hmm. dimension in here. Um, I quote you, I did not seem to want more from anyone. I was in my way still recovering from a divorce that I knew I was responsible for. I had been married to a good man and I had thought I must be alone. I did not know about the rare gift of someone's love. I had no sense of reality. I lived in my own fantasies that soon new love and success would come to me. I was vague about what I wanted and even vaguer about how to achieve it. Just give me life, I said, and it will do all the work. Thus, Aria was not in my mind, and I don't think much else was either. Something was turned off inside me. I had squeezed my eyes shut as a child and never fully opened them again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and in the story, Arya, in a way, opens them again because mm. she encounters her own neediness and her own... Um, she goes to the extremity of herself with him. And in doing so, she sees mm -hmm. who she is, well, how she had been damaged. And then at, at one time in the book, he says to her, he's sort of torturing her as he always is. And, she, and she, he says, <laughs> now, now you can love somebody. And there's some truth to mm -hmm. that. He had made her yes. see what another person goes through and had broken mm -hmm. her defenses. And, um, mm -hmm. um, and when he says that, she knows it's true. Yes. Yes. And about Mira, you write, I can't live a normal life with a normal man with pleasant dinners and gentle conversation. I need something twisted. Love must hurt. Then I will know I am alive. Mm -hmm. well, that's because she's been hurt. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think in some ways that's true for him too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. And yet they both want a normal life. Yes. Yes, they do. They keep fighting for it or toward it, right? There's a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming toward it. But he seems to, I think, has given up on it more than she has. He feels too damaged. And she then gets in the weird position of wanting to save him. Yes. Which is an impossibility. But actually, for the listener, I don't want to make this sound like, you know, it's the most depressing book in the world, which it could sound like. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 really, I think there's a lot of liveliness to them. And totally. He's full of life and humor at times. And he's seductive to her in funny ways. And um, mm. the counterpoint yes. of sort of the rich, perfect man who even takes her to Lake Coma and say, let me, I'm buying you a place here. And she knows she's not going to be able to do it. Um, the counterpoint of these two men, one living in this you know, apartment that's been hurled to and from Kansas and the other one that's opposite in every way mm. um, and her being stuck in the middle and sort of wanting to find love, wanting to go for it. Mm. Mm. But she's not ready. She's not ready. Yeah. I think the interesting thing too is, it, it, it is inside the six books, the two books that are right in the middle, we talked about this a little bit, like Prison Sex's third book, Bed You Lion is the fourth, that they're like the the really the turning point of Mira, or the let's say the turning point of your main characters, kind of to face the mm-hmm. the black hole or the bitter wolf that your mother mm-hmm. had thrown you to, right? Thrown mm-hmm. Mira mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. the moving out and the movement of the soul, the depth, kind of the depth work, right? That is necessary, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in some weird way, she does this with Arya, but yes, um, it's not exactly in a traditional way, too. Yes, um, and um, everybody wants her to get away from him in the book, and and. Um, she can't. And I think deep down she knows if she can confront this, what's in her that wants to be with him, then while knowing that she can't be with him, she knows that she'll be free of this monkey on her back. Yes. And she does become free of that monkey. Yes. Yes. There's a, also a great scene where you um, have Mira bring back photographs of her mother as a young woman. I was proud of her beauty. It was as if it was an heirloom. I've seen hundreds of pretty Jewish girls like this, he said, when I showed the photos to Arya. I had never looked at her in that way. Then I understood what he was saying. He was telling me I am familiar to him, have a place in history. He can't give me a home with him, but he can give me one with his people. Mm. Well, she hasn't been raised as a Jew. Because right. uh, her father is um, not Jewish, and um, and he introduces her to all of that, and mm. um, she doesn't quite understand why or how or what, but she's a little fascinated. Her mother had escaped to Haifa, and um, so and he was born in Haifa, and so there were a mm. sort of threads that were sort of similar, and. Um, he knew, as he says to her, thousands of stories like the mother, you know, the moving around, mm. all of those things. And um, mm. um, he makes 
her have compassion for the mother. Yes. Which is in itself freeing. Yes. And there's something else that you'd written about Mira that maybe his sadness allowed me to acknowledge my own sadness. Maybe his not belonging anywhere made me feel less alone about how I didn't belong anywhere either. Hmm. Yeah. No, they have, they have, they, they have existential things in common. Um, mm. But they also are very sort of um, alive in a certain way. And, but mm. she, she encounters her own hurt through him. But he encounters his own rage and it's his desire to punish. And Mm. she feels that this desire has to do with his avenge on what happened to his parents. And what happened Mm. to his parents meant that he was not parented properly, that he didn't get loved. Mm. And so he has a lot of rage and um, that he didn't get a fair shot. And um, she understands that um, and feels for him. Uh, but she's less angry that perhaps she didn't get a fair shot either, but she's, she's not as uh, full of rage as he is. So they are almost yes. sadist and masochist together. She's the masochist, he's the sadist. Mm. But um as in any situation like that they they take turns yes and there's a, a, this awakening that's happening in her she's lying awake early in the morning 3 in the morning thinking that it's not really at all about him or it's not it's not something he can even fix right she's realizing right. Yeah. it's really yeah. her own homework. No, she knows that. And then as soon as she really gets that and has encountered her own vulnerability, her terrible vulnerability that she has been running from, she's freed. Mm. Yes. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the um, therapists always used to say to people, you got to feel the pain Mm. if you want to change. And um, she doesn't do that. But actually through this strange relationship with Arya, she does feel the pain. Um, yes. Although they're not really in a traditional relationship in any way, shape, or form. They're almost more friends than they are lovers. Mm. Mm. Yes, and, and you see that really at the end when they do finally kind of reconnect. There's no no one's going home to the other one's bed, right? It's really... Mm-hmm. very separate. And um, you write, I didn't invite him to sleep at my place either. We were frightened to get involved after what had ensued. We could not leave each other and could not be with each other. We had lived through a searing of our souls together and we had not abandoned each other. We even loved each other for catalyzing this burning of ourselves into reality. We both now were in life, not running from it, and we were both trying to rebuild ourselves. Right. That must be near the end. Yes. Yeah. He says, you know, the children who survive Auschwitz the best, right? He said, were the right. ones who had their mothers with them. Yes. He said it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they also have a lot of, I mean, they're, um, 
they're constantly meeting in restaurants and, um, <laughs> and she learns a lot about, um, about life in Israel and, 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 and things, um, through him. And, um, I don't know. Maybe they did know they were going to get through it. I don't know, you know, mm. um, but yeah. <laughs> yes, he says, um, it's because of me that you don't want to be alone anymore. And maybe that was true. I had had to confront myself with him, the messiness of it, all that need that welled up in me. It had nearly killed me, but not sublimating those needs had freed me to be real, to desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah beautiful way to end no yeah yeah the the well it's it's, can get crazy in the middle but um he's always always walking out on her um Mm. you know the uh he's extremely mercurial isn't the right word but he's extremely i guess he is mercurial he's very good with words yeah Mm. he's constantly correcting her language (laughs) Yes. And she likes him for that. She she likes him mm. for that. So, um, well, in that, that's kind of the mothering, right? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah. And he um and he likes to tease. Yeah. It's it's interesting. He she feels she feels at home with him because mm. he does remind her of her mother. Mm. Yes. Yes. So I'm wrapping up, if that's okay. Anything else to add? No, I don't think so. Great. This is I, Murphy Lewis of I Am A Publication, speaking to you from Paris with our guest, Jacqueline Gay Wally in New York City, about her novel, The Bed You Lie In. Thank you for joining us, Jacqueline Gay. Thank you, Murphy. Mm-hmm. It's been nice having you here. You can listen to our podcast featuring Jacqueline Gay Wally's novels or visit her on www.gaywally.com or on www.imlpublications.com. This podcast was recorded on Zencaster with producer Sebastiano Tecchio, accompanied by flautist Steve Slagle from his album Spirit Calls. Abiento. Talk soon. Ciao.